Welcome back, brothers and sisters around the globe, all over the continent and outside of our continent, as we are joined here with another podcast of Casting Nets Podcast. Um, you probably recognize the voice. I'm one of your hosts, Will Harley, and I'm here with the uh, uh, very bald and yet still ruggedly handsome man uh, across the airwaves from South Dakota, Don Winsberger. And uh, we are going to be joining in one of the conversations that I think is going to be very enjoyable, not only for today, but for the next uh, a couple of shows uh, as we start to unpack this thing called the Augsburg Confession um, and, and really taking a look at what that is and, and how it plays into our churches and, and why it's such an important thing, an important confession for us, uh, for the Lutheran Church, uh, Wisconsin Synod, as well as the Missouri Synod, uh, and our, our ELS brothers and sisters. So before we do that, I think we should have our disclaimer. And, and, and Don, I'm going to let you give our disclaimer for us today. We try to offend as many people as possible. If you don't have a sense of humor, we urge you to get one. Um, uh, but, in all, but in all seriousness, we do not represent, uh, always represent the ideas, the opinions um, of our employers or of the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod. Our purpose for doing this show is just a, a chance to discuss things, hopefully to enlighten. Um, we don't intend to we don't intend to offend. Um, sometimes the truth hurts, but if it hurts, please communicate with us. We would love to talk to you about it personally. Um, we really, you know, we know that uh, we appreciate that if you do listen to it, that well, you are listening to us. We appreciate that you take that time, um, and we don't want to lose you as listeners. So if there is an issue, um, feel free to contact, email, call, write, uh, show up at our office, kick the door down, whatever, we'll be here. Well, Don, I don't think you can get any more offensive than the Augsburg Confession when it comes to uh, uh, things to be said and and uh, wonderful statements to be made for for a church body. Um, <clears throat> I was listening to uh, oh, <clears throat> it was uh, someone near dear to our hearts, um, the the creator of Lutheran satire. Um, I don't know if you remember him, Hans. Uh, yeah, uh, Hans Fiennes. I think I don't know how you say his last name. Fiennes. Fiennes, yeah. He, um, Missouri Synod guy, really, really funny. Uh, but I listened to uh, his channel and, and I was listening to his paper on when to use um, that type of satire, when to use um, this idea of, of um, what did he call it, snarkiness <laughs> as Lutherans. And, and he, he made the comment that, that in our confessions um, and the writings of our early church fathers, uh, we were snarky. <laughs> <laughs> that Lutherans were known for their snarkiness. So for us to have this uh, this conversation about poking fun at people, I, I think is is following in the the good Lutheran tradition. Oh, I you know I won't argue with that. I think some of that comes to with German heritage too. Uh, I am I have German heritage in me. Most of it is my my grandma Winsberger was uh, was full-blooded Norwegian. Grandpa always uh, tormented her for tainting his children's and grandchildren's blood. 
Um, uh, let me tell you this. My point is German Catholics also have a, have a snarkiness as well as German Lutherans. All the and, good Lutherans are German, aren't they? No, wait. That Maybe we shouldn't say. <laughs> um, you know, I, 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 you know, I pre, I appreciate that thing with, with snarkiness. It was, it was definitely a part of Luther's personality. Maybe, you know, maybe not always used in the best place. But uh, um, once again, not going to try to put myself into his shoes, um, since I'm not a, a child or a product of of that time and, and didn't have to live it. You know me very well. That the, as I get older. Um, and, and you have, and you have, and you have known me for for almost nine years. That as I get older, the more snarky I get, especially when it comes to religious matters. As I be, as I see attacks on on the gospel, as I see attacks on uh, on the, the the in something that we'll be talking about coming up here in the very near future, dealing with the Augsburg Confession. Um, the chief article of faith, justification by faith alone, on which all other doctrines of the church stand. Um, I'm not so nice. Okay. Um, and uh, I, I want to speak the truth in love. Um, yet at the same time, uh, the new person of faith in me gets its dander up when I see pure gospel being undermined. Well, and, and I think I think following that, I, I, I think you have two results of people, right? And two two ways that people approach things. Um, and I think um, um, it comes down to what worked for you is kind of what we stick to as saying it'll work for everybody else. And and for people like Luther, and we're going to find that out as, as he kind of builds this together, and then people like Melanchthon who, who compiled all of his things. For, for people like Luther, Luther especially, um, brass tacks coming right out and saying it, and don't beat around the bush, don't try to put it nicely, just say what needs to be said, worked for him. And so how did he, how did he confront everybody? And, it, and I'm glad you bring, it, bring this up because a little bit of here would like to give a little bit of history of the Augsburg Confession and its significance in Lutheranism and in Christianity as a whole. You had Luther and his snarkiness, and Luther is not the author of the Augsburg Confession. No, but, the, but his stuff compiled part his, of it. His stuff, part of his stuff compiled it, but it was actually something put together and tweaked over time by his counterpart, Philip Melanchthon, who did not have a snarky bone in his body. Um, I would like to compare Philip Melanchthon to a version of... Uh, of a man that you and I have served, uh, you served a perm you served in, a, a, as his pastor. I serve as a vacancy pastor. Um, one that's always trying, uh, uh, an individual that tries to make everybody happy and makes no one happy. Right, and now it's not because they have a bad bone. It's not because they don't well, love people. It's because, like I was saying, you know, you have the person who, for Luther. Hitting him right where it hurts, being snarky about it, calling him out was the way that worked. Melanchthon, Melanchthon was flowery speech and beat around the bush and let's have and a discussion. Actually, and actually, and actually, because he thought the Augsburg Confession was too harsh, actually tweaked it to mellow it out a little bit. And that is the version of the Augsburg Confession that confessional Bible-believing Lutherans do not subscribe to. Absolutely. We subscribe to the unaltered Augsburg Confession. 
and and that we're going to talk a little bit how did that come about but yeah. I, I think it's good for us to talk about the difference between between why why is it that some Lutherans are snarky because let's face it it worked for us to 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 bring down those false ideas that we had placed into our heads uh, of how things should be and we we were brought in, in a very abrupt way to the way things really are and and we came into contact with Christ through the gospel not by beating around the bush but by being called out and 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 saying here's what it is yes um yes um you know one of the things that, that as you and I were trying to to uh, plan ahead for programming subject matter for casting nets podcast and brought this up and and you had actually brought up the Augsburg confession and I thought it would be a good idea because um, our Lutheran brothers um, and our Lutheran brothers in fellowship over in the Evangelical Lutheran Synod based out of Mankato, Minnesota, uh, once known as the Norwegian Lutheran Synod, um, that gives you a little bit of background there that uh, that Norwegians are good Lutherans and actually takes me on one of my theories, um, even though right now I'm, 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 I'm not watching professional sports and we won't get into why. Um, but, uh, you know, it seems like all Wisconsin Synod Lutherans are Packer fans. Um, and, uh, um, and actually uh, uh, that, uh, that, uh, Norwegian Lutherans, being of that Scandinavian heritage, real Lutherans would follow the Minnesota Vikings. But that's a topic for a whole other podcast. <laughs> now, now that you do realize that, they lost, right? <laughs> uh, you know, and, and, and actually, just to be honest with you, my feeling was that if that would have ended in a scoreless tie yesterday, that would have been almost as good as going to heaven. But that, again, uh, I digress. Um, coming back to uh, our ELS brothers, uh, they went back in 1993 when we put out our latest hymnal, um, Christian Worship, uh, our ELS brothers were going to go along on the project with us. They wanted to preserve more of their heritage that they were used to and produce their own hymnal. It is a hymnal called the Evangelical Lutheran Hymnary. Uh, many of our Wells people are familiar with this, maybe traveling to ELS churches for whatever reason or another. A very, very beautiful hymnal. But to get to my point is in the ELS hymnal, and it was in their old one, and it is also in their current one, there is a large section where the entire Augsburg Confession is, is in it, okay, in, their, in, in, the front of, in the front of their hymnal. And I always wondered that because I wondered about that because it doesn't see, that wasn't something that seemed to be traditional in uh, in Wells Missouri Synod worship in in hymnal background, but it, it it seems to be a tradition in the in the Norwegian Synod. And as I was doing some digging and preparing for this, actually the reason for me at least became crystal clear. Because actually the Augsburg Confession is really was the first, I will put in quotes, official confession of the Lutheran Church. There were other little things that were put out that were that actually even contributed to this document. Um, but this was the first document that was drafted by the Lutherans in defense of uh, 
of where, where the Lutherans stood and so forth. And, uh, um, and so in, in actuality, I, many Lutherans say this, uh, and our counterparts in the Missouri Synod um, say this, that really uh, the Reformation you know, is often called the birthday of the Lutheran Church. Not really. That was really Luther putting up the 95 theses to discuss, um, to discuss indulgences. Really, the birthday of the of the of the Lutheran Church is would be better considered to be the day that the Augsburg Confession was presented to the Emperor, which would be that date would be actually October sixteenth, not, not not October sixteenth, but it would be June twenty fifth, fifteen thirty. Right at three p.m. At three p.m. And and so once again now now to, to, to understanding why it's in in the ELS hymnal, what's so significant? Well, there are many things as we're going to see in our podcast that are significant about the Augsburg Confession, but what's significant is here who presented this confession to the emperor and who signed it, and it was lay people that signed this and stood up for it and said they would give their lives for it. And, and to me, that explains why our Norwegian Lutheran brothers include it in their hymnal, because this is the confession of the lay people. And I, and I think that's an important dis, distinction to make, because like you said before, there were many different confessions that were given. I mean, there was the, the, the uh, Schwabic articles, there was the Malberg, um, um, that would have been a confession. Articles probably more so. Um, you had you had the Heidelberg Disputation. You have the ninety five theses. You have all these different. You even have have the small card articles, right? Um, that are all yeah. these different writings that that Luther contributed to. Um, other theologians, Lutheran theologians, had made and, and compiled. But the problem was is that they were all academic and theolo- theologically backed. Um, this was the Augsburg Confession was the first one. Where where Luther wasn't even present at the meeting, um, and and the laity told Melanchthon, "Hey, uh, we want all of our we want the biblical view, the confession of what it is that we believe, written down, so that we can stand behind it and say this is what we believe, and this is how we are organizing ourselves." Um, <clears throat> and so it became, like you said, that wonderful document that was not just theological it wasn't just a bunch of people stuck in a room uh, contemplating what to write but it was lived out in the lives of these uh, of, of the parishioners and they said this is what we truly believe and confess to be true uh, from the scriptures and actually and that was and yet yeah, you're right that was the impetus behind it if it was it uh, um, forgive me for for having just a, a brain hiccup here. If I'm not mistaken, was it was it uh, Duke Frederick? I believe um, so. Or was it his brother? Um, anyway, that actually made the request for a dot because uh, because once again they wanted that to stand on. They, they wanted they wanted to be able to talk intelligently what? about and, and accurately about what they believed and what they stood on. And it and it went even further than that, and and I know a lot of modern day Lutheranism might might disagree with us, but it, it went further than that. 
Um, there was a document that was put out by Dr. Eck, um, and, and it was, I don't know, it was a proposition that, that linked the, um, Dr. Eck was a Catholic, by the way, and it linked, uh, the, it linked the Lutherans, uh, if you want to use that term at that, at that point in history, with the Protestants and with the Reformed. It linked them with the Zwinglies. It, it linked them with the Anabaptists. It linked them with these other startup groups. And it and it pretty much said, "There's no difference between you." And all the Lutherans stood and said, "No, we're not Protestant. We're not Reformed." And they said, "In this document, we need a document that shows what we are saying follows what the Scriptures say." And and so they they came up with this document. I think it was a it's vital not only for for who we are as individuals. In, in 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 the idea of the parishioners, this is a parishioner's confession, but it's important because it distinguishes us between from the Protestants and the Reformed. Even today, even today, it, this document distinguishes us as something else from them. We are not Reformed. We are not Protestant. We are Lutheran. You know, yes. And, and another thing in relation with that that uh, so amazes me about this is the fact once once again that this is something that that stemmed from the lay people and not the clergy. Um, you know, you and I we've done a lot of talking too about, and actually it's stuff we've been preaching about the past couple of Sundays with worship and ministry and working together was actually the topic of our last um, of our last uh, podcast. Um, the fact that um, this is what every pastor envies that we're not that not only pastor the clergy and the, the the people sitting in the pew are delving into god's word together but then we're standing up defending it and using it together absolutely uh, you know and the fact that in the fact that these men who signed who signed this and presented it to the emperor uh were risking war were risking death um, in fact, I'm, I'm pretty sure it was Duke Frederick who, who had said to Luther too, we need this because if I'm, and, and Duke, said, Duke Frederick said this, I would uh, rather than give up this faith as, as enumerated in this confession, I would rather bend my knee and have you lop off my head. Right. It, 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 you see the power of, of making a confession, um, that is based off of the scriptures and and how it changed the world, right? And this is what and the world and lives, the lives of these people. Absolutely. I mean, this is this is there's an importance to a confession. We've talked about this in numerous podcasts before, but there is an importance to a confession um, that we don't understand in today's society, um, and that these confessions don't just come out of thin air. And I think that's that's really where we need to go and maybe share with our listeners is that this ultimate confession didn't just all of a sudden come out of thin air because people were dissatisfied with the Catholic Church or because people were upset with uh, the Protestant Revolution and the Protestant War or the uh, the not the Protestant Wars, the um, uh, the 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 wars of the the, the poor. What was that called? Peasant Wars. Peasant wars that they were that they right. were upset with the peasant wars that this was a this was really a, a thing in the making and it started you know let's okay it started with the question that Martin Luther brought up with the ninety five theses it it started there but you know that and 
I don't even like the 95 Theses being the mark of the beginning of the Lutheran Church. I'm a firm believer that that probably more so would that the mark of the Lutheran Church's beginning is the Heidelberg Disputation that happened in, in 1518, right after 1517. That's because when the, the Heidelberg Disputation was the actual conversation. That was the actual conversation that, that Luther had with the Augustinian monks that he was a member of. That was the, 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 the turning point when they took away all of his monastery duties because he refused to give up and go back to the same way that, that the Catholic Church had decided to do. But this is the building blocks, right? So we have the 95 Theses of all the disagreements. We have the Heidelberg Disputation, claiming of Christ and only Christ um, and, and his glory and his grace for us. And there you're hitting on it with Christ and only Christ. You're talking about the building blocks. Let's talk a, a, just a, a second again so people understand why, you know, because people are going, um, pe- you know, people might be wondering, well, you know, this is just a document put together and you brought that up. The Augsburg Confession is such a wonderful thing because it is all based on Holy Scripture um, and, and, and is a wonderful exposition and teaching of that Scripture. That is why we as Lutherans treasure it because it is a faithful exposition and confession on Christian doctrine. And and I'm not saying that Luther is a prophet, but didn't he say something similar in the in in his uh, uh, diet at Leipzig when Luther said um, something to the effect of that a layman armed with scripture is more powerful than the pope without it? Uh, yes. And that was, you know, 1519. That <laughs> that's, you know, 21 years before he he has or 19 years or 11 years before he has an opportunity 11 years before uh, they have an opportunity to actually see this document where scripture is given into the hands of the laity um, and they make this statement but I mean these are these are some of the things that build upon this right um, so would the Augsburg confession would have been a thing if Luther hadn't been excommunicated probably not. I mean, if he wasn't removed from the church, there wouldn't have been this divide. There would have been just maybe another sect within the Catholic Church that had their own views and their own thoughts. Um, But he was excommunicated in the papal bull in 1520. Um, You know, he was brought up on charges, and they almost tried to kill him at the Diet of Worms. Um, Let me throw something out at you. It's just, it, and I, I apologize to everyone, and I apologize to Pastor Harley for this because this is how my brain works. And it doesn't always work right. And I apologize for sometimes where where this will take me. You mentioned that, you know, had Luther not been excommunicated, you know, this this might have, you know, the Augsburg Confession might not even come about. Lutheranism may just have been a sect um, in, in, in the Catholic Church. That's intriguing because in today's, I mean, once again, it shows the fullness of time, the hand of God and his guidance. If something like this would happen today in the spirit of the in, in, in the in really the atmosphere of the Roman Catholic Church today, pretty much I don't I don't even think Luther would have been excommunicated. Of course not. It would have been just like a Franciscan sect or an Augustine sect or or anything else yep. like that. And maybe and maybe a, a few comments from the Pope that okay, this is some this is some German that has that that makes that is. That, that you know that drinks too much high content alcohol beer, right, right, and, and and I think you're absolutely correct. This was the perfect time for for God to make a change in His kingdom, 
Um, and, and so he did. Um, and he put the right people in the right spots to make that change. Uh, it was the perfect storm, right? We had, you had a, 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 an elector who supported um, Luther and supported that school um, in Wittenberg. Um, you had the right educated people coming to, to support this school and to build this school. And, and, and you had the, just that perfect storm. Um, the right layman. The right layman. Yes. You know, some people, and I will be, and I will be gracious because, you know, I don't know how much, how in depth any of our listeners will get into this, you know, but there's been talk too that, you know, where people have said, even, and this has come from, um, from leaders in the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, which doesn't deserve the title Lutheran. The church doesn't. Now, I'm not saying some of the people in it. Um, but uh, is this, that, uh, oh, don't, don't, don't fool yourself that this was a religious, that this was all religious, that uh, there were political, that there were political undertones with this and that, and that uh, people were, and that uh, the political leaders like Duke Frederick and so forth, and, and that uh, were, were looking out for their, for actually to look, looking out for their own political advantages. There, we don't we don't deny that there was a political aspect there as well, but when you actually read and follow history and hear these lay people and they were willing to lay down their lives, and the and they and and, and multiple sources tell us the reason that they were willing to lay down their lives was because these were their convictions based on Holy Scripture. Not looking for political or, or financial advantage, but they were look, but but they were convinced by this. I I, uh, 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 please understand me in this. I kind of equate it to the apostles who were eyewitnesses of the resurrection, giving up their lives because they saw Jesus alive in the flesh. Absolutely. And, and I think I think following that line of thought, you can you really see what was going on. You, you see a, um, a church body uh, in the Catholic Church, especially at that time, um, and I would I would say even still today, um, where it, nothing but law and burden and 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 pain. It, did I do enough? Have I done enough? Did I pay enough with indulgences? Um, you know, have I said enough prayers? Have I had enough blessings? Um, you know, you had the you had monasteries that were were functioning um, as works of super irrigation, where where the monks themselves truly felt that that in their service as monks, as they're de- as they're debasing themselves as monks, they're working for other people and giving them grace. Um, because of what they were doing. And, and he had monks that would bring in for their confession, which was mandatory. They would bring in sins of things that they heard in town that other people were doing, and they would claim them as their own to ask for forgiveness for them in their confessions. And you see all of this going on, and then all of a sudden you have, in this Reformation, a, a grasping of the chief doctrine, right? Justification um, by faith, um, through the scriptures only, through Christ only, by grace only. This doctrine of justification so clearly rings out, and and people are, I, I think their lives are changed. Um, they, they truly, the, the burden is lifted off of them. They are able to be in freedom engaged now with their Lord and, and with life. And we see that, if, if, you, if you bear with me, I like uh, at least what I have as I, in the stuff I was using to prepare for 
for my part of this somewhat intelligent discussion, although with you and me involved, I don't know how it can be intelligent, but that's another topic of discussion. Hey, this is a free broadcast, so they get what they pay for. <laughs> uh, but this is actually from the, the, the first paragraph of the preface of the Augsburg Confession. Um, and it, and it, 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 goes, it goes this way. Uh, most invincible emperor, Caesar Augustus, most clement lord, your imperial majesty has summoned a meeting of the empire here at Augsburg to consider taking action against the Turk, which were, are, were the Muslims at that time, discussing how to best stand against effectively against his fury and attacks by means of military force. The Turk is the most atrocious and ancient hereditary enemy of the Christian name and religion. This meeting is also to consider disagreements in our holy religion the Christian faith, by hearing everyone's opinions and judgments in each other's presence. They are to be considered and evaluated among ourselves in mutual charity, mercy, and kindness. After the removal and correction of things that either side has understood differently, these matters may be settled and brought back to one simple truth and Christian concord. Then we may embrace and maintain the future of one pure and true religion under one Christ, doing battle under him, living in unity and concord in the one Christian church. And just the spirit here, this wasn't one, you know, once again, to, to foster against that, that these men, these lay people, these political leaders, too, were, were looking out for their own gain. No, they were, again, their concern was per, per uh, was preserving the unity of the one of the one true faith of uh, of the una sancta, which is the which is what the church is often called, um, and one Christ, one Lord, one baptism. They wanted to preserve this, and this is why, and this is where they were at too. Um, you know, uh, it, it just in converse to that, um, I have this, and actually, this is a Bible study that our our counterparts um, have on the Augsburg Confession, which I think is really well done. Um, it's just one of the things here too, where it's, it, it starts as uh, open discussioning, a discussion starter. On a, uh, here's one. Uh, on a scale of one to 10, one being I deny the faith, two, 10 being I die for it, where would you place for yourself? And then here's an instance. Uh, your uh, Muslim terrorist threatens to cut off your head if you don't re renounce Jesus and accept Allah. Two, your non-Wells relative comes to visit you and tells you that unless they can take communion at your church, they will have to break all family ties. Three, you meet some wonderful people at the coffee shop, and after becoming rather close friends, there's a discussion on women having the right to abort their children at any state of pregnancy. What do all these situations have to do with your confession of faith? And I think, you know, and it, that's really, it, it, it's, what puts the, it's what puts the shoes to the pavement, isn't it? It does. I think it really brings things out that, that, that having a confession is an important part of our Christian walk. Yes, and, and being able to stand up for something is a part of your witness. We just talked about that living, a living sacrifice, right? Uh, last Sunday in, in, our, in our discussions with Romans um, between our two different churches. 
we had that discussion of what does it mean to be a living sacrifice? Well, a living sacrifice is, is one who is freed by Christ, who is now able to engage with, with God's law, not as a have to, but I get to. Well, it's also, in many ways, living out a confession of what is it that I truly believe and what do I hold dear and what am I willing to give up in this conversation with other people? It, you know, and this is what, what's difficult for all of us, pastors and lay people. And that's one thing that I really I'm going to enjoy in the podcast that we do on the Augsburg Confession, because this really does. I think this is something that's really beneficial for pastors and lay people working together. Right. Um, is 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 we in the in the era that we live in right now, taking making a confession, making a stand is not is not popular. Um, in our society today, by any stretch of the imagination. Well, it is. Let, let's be honest. Making a stand well, is popular. It, it, it's popular, but only only if it is something that is anti-Christian. Or rebellious. Or rebellious. Well, and, and once again, that's anti-Christian. Sure. Uh, and, uh, and, and so, uh, you know, it makes me think here, too, um, and... Well, I was thinking about this as I was prepping last night for our discussion. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, I, I thought about this, <clears throat> looking at, okay, Philip Melanchthon being the editor of the of the Augsburg Confession. Um, uh, in my description, and, I, and I'm in complete violation of the Eighth Commandment with this, he was a close friend of Luther, but he did get Luther to this point almost to the same point at one time too, uh, that uh, that Melanchthon ended up just being a weak, weak, snivelly little whining coward. In the end, with with his with his with with with, with his, I understand that he wanted to keep the church together, but any time pressure was put to him, he caved. But but let's be honest, and let's just give let's give Melanchthon just a, a little bit of modicum. And and the, My, monoc- the 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 little bit that I'd give him is that he is a secular or not a secularist a, a humanist. He he deep down, even though he would admit we are all sinful and that we are we are debased by nature from the moment that we are conceived, um, which he's going to write here in the Augsburg Confession, um, he still held out that something better for the betterment of people would still exist. And he always tried to, to find that chord and strike it. He always did. He would fit very well in, in our society, in our American society today. Absolutely. He would probably fit. He would probably be the voice of reason or at least a perceived voice of reason for many of our congregations. And they would love him um, because yep. he was trying to, he was trying to, to strike that balance between not being offensive uh, and still encouraging uh, encouraging these people. Uh, and I'm not saying, now, please, dear listener, Melanchthon, he, especially his early stuff, his, 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 uh, um, um, his early stuff is amazing. Um, and he hits the nail right on the head doctrinally for many, many things. But, but I think this idea of people can be better and people should be better uh, ran him down um, later on in his life, especially after he, his, and let's face it, his check and balance left. Um, you know, I'm not the pastor that I am because I am who I am on my own. I'm the pastor that I am because I have people like you, Don, who are a check and balance. 
And when I have an idea, you question it and you, you bring me back in line if it's off. And, and I feel the same way from you too. You know, we, we throw that out. Iron sharpens iron in a way. And I'll be, and I want to be, and I'll be a little bit more gracious to Melanchthon. Melanchthon wasn't the only one um, that struggled with this. Uh, uh, John Stalpitz, who was uh, Luther's father superior and overseer as an Augustinian monk, um, loved Luther deeply, and Luther loved loved Stalpitz deeply, deeply, and Luther owed a lot of. I mean, a, a lot of who Luther became was a direct result of God using John Stalpitz. That being said, when it came down, when push came to shove, especially at the time of the Augsburg Confession, actually it was even before that, was when Luther appeared at the Diet of Worms. Stalpitz told, told Luther, I love you, but I can't stand there with you. Um, I can't do this to my church. Yeah, and he actually left the monastery and went somewhere else and, and yeah. lived out the rest of his life um, completely separated from it. Um, but I don't think he disagreed entirely from what Luther had said. My point, my point, is, my point is, you know, Luther didn't hold that against them. You know, as in a lot of friendships, Luther got irritated with uh, with uh, Philip Melanchthon, as as he well should have. Um, the in my historical memory, their relationship was strained. Um. At the end of at the end of Luther's life, but I do not recall Luther branding him a heretic. Let's let he, he was never branded a heretic, but let's just face it. Let's let's just put it in here. The only time the, the, the main reason, not the only time, but the main reason why their relationship was strained was because of the way Luther had approached um his comments back to um Oh, um, Erasmus and the bondage of the will. Um, I, I think that was the turning point and the tipping point between that relationship between Luther and, and Melanchthon because Erasmus was um, pretty much the main humanist author at the time and Melanchthon had a lot of respect for a lot of his works and a lot of things that he said. And and I think he took great offense to the, the name calling that Luther <laughs> Uh, came out and 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 said to Erasmus, he t- he said it was far too harsh. He said it was far too aggressive, and I think that was where the the line was drawn in the sand, where where Luther said uh, very clearly, um, if you believe that you have free will, then you have tossed out the Declaration of of, of Justification. Um, that if you believe that you can in some way, shape, or form make God happy with you because of the way that you are and who you are and the choices that you make then you have completely thrown out the core doctrine of the church. Um, and, I, and, you br- and you bring us back and you bring us back to the, to the Augsburg confession here. Um, correct me. I may not be using the, the correct terminology here, but I'm trying to remember who it was who said it. It, I, it may have been, you had, you may have had Jim Corthall's, as a professor at seminary, I had him as a his, as a as a history professor at Northwestern College. Yep, and I think it was Jim Corthels who calls the Augsburg Confession, or at least somebody else did. But I heard it from from Professor Corthels uh, that the Augsburg Confession has been called the Magna Carta of the Lutheran Church. He did say that in passing. 
I had him too before he retired. Yes. And I'm pretty sure it was and 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 you know really there and that is another reason that that uh, that this that this confession um, is held in such high regard uh, among uh, uh, among many Lutherans is is really because you look at it it, it is it is very a concise uh, it is a very concise uh, and and then there's also Melanchthon wrote the apology the defense to the Augsburg Confession. Um, uh, but the, the, the reason it was written was not to be combative. And I think some of that came from, from Melanchthon as well, which was a good thing. It was to clarify because the, because the Lutherans were being, uh, were being grouped in with a whole bunch of other, um, different sects and things and being accused of teaching and believing things and, you know, you know, things like denying the Trinity oh, yeah. and so forth. Things that were clearly and, taught in the ecumenical creeds. Yes. And so, and so the first part of the Augsburg Confession is devoted to really, this is where, this is where Lutherans have, Lutherans have not departed from the traditional faith. This is where we agree. Yeah. And, and that's, and I think that's where you're trying to say the beauty of the Augsburg Confession is, is that the Lutheran faith actually is that, where I should say the Augsburg Confession really goes back to establishing we are historically Christian. Yes. Not, not, not made up Christianity, not a, not a, not a new fringe group, but historically we are, his, we are historically Christian and here's what we believe. And tying things back to the, uh, the Augsburg confession as we'll look at, as we come up in the coming weeks, we'll tie in, uh, uh, where the Augsburg confession ties in, uh, how, how Luther and, uh, the reform and, and the Lutheran reformers agree um, and support the early church fathers. Um, you know, again, like you said, historical Christianity, and that is that is what we rejoice in as Lutherans today, clergy and lay people. Lutheran confessional Lutheranism is 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 the historical Christian church, the and, historical. And I think we've done a disservice, and 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 maybe you can correct me if I'm wrong, um, or, or add to it if I don't say enough. But I think we've done a disservice. I've I've had the opportunity um, in my short life to to sort of be on both sides of of the synod divide, <laughs> and and I was in the Missouri synod, um, and then I came over to the Wells, um, and and our 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 Missouri synod um, counterparts, um, it has been my understanding they have well worn triglots, they have well worn books of Concord. Um, they, I mean, they are they are beaten up on the shelf, um, and half the time they don't spend any time on the shelf. They they sit on the desk of the pastor, and he's going back there and underlining, and he's and and in fact, my first sermon that I preached when I was in seminary, um, uh, Professor Tiefel uh, ripped it apart, and he said, because uh, I used the text, and then I went back to the. I went back to the the Book of Concord, and I used that as as I used my text as an entrance to teach the doctrines of the Book of Concord, and and he said, "See, this is to, this is typical of of Missouri Synod that they go back to the doctrines of the Church and and they don't stick to the text," and and so he ripped it he ripped it into shreds, but I think that's been the natural tendency of the people in the wells have well worn Bibles, and that's good. And that and and that is and, and, and in a, in a general, you are correct with that. 
you know, when you brought that up about about your sermon, I want to tell you that was something that I was not, that again, our seminary didn't, you know, I had Professor Tiefel too, not for homiletics, and I will say thankfully so, but that's, and I, and I respect him. I learned a lot about uh, from Professor Tiefel and liturgics that I appreciate and I'll never forget and take with me to, to, to glory. But that being said, uh, what I learned about, where I learned about integrating and, 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 and using the confessions in my text study was from my overseeing pastor when I was a vicar. And he was born and raised in the wells. But he always told me, he says, you need to go to your book of Concord, look up at the scripture references and check out all the scripture references where you find your text in the book of Concord. And he made that. that and, and, and so I, I still do that to this day. Oh, and I and I've learned to combine both of those on my own and do that. But I remember when we were in, like I said, Missouri Synod. But one of the things Missouri Synod said is if it's in, if it's if you have a different idea and it's not supported in the confessions, don't say it, because oh. you're probably wrong. <laughs> yeah. Well, we were we were told that same thing. It was told to us a little bit differently. If you come up with an idea in your text study and you can't find it in any, you can't find it written by in by any any Lutheran theologian or early church father, uh, give it up because you're wrong. Yeah, yeah, give it up because it's probably a heresy. Um, yes. and, and, and that's, and that's, and that's a, an appropriate use of it. But I, I think the point that I was trying to make is that, that I think we've created this, this unhealthy divide maybe in our thoughts where, where, you know, um, we should be using both. I mean, the scriptures vitally important. All, I mean, they are the norm by which all normal is found. They are the go-to for anything and everything. Um, but the confessions, the, we, we as, as pastors subscribe to the confessions as, as something we will uphold. And if we uphold it, should we not study it? Shouldn't it be a part of our lives as well? Um, and and then a well-worn book upon our shelves as we are going back and, and using it to help guide our people and guide our thoughts and guide our approach. What I'd like to do too here right now, just do a little bit of commercial. <laughs> um, I guess that's permissible since this is a podcast. Uh, not an official p- podcast. They're not paying anybody, us anything for that. Now, if anybody is listening from the Missouri Synod, you can tell Concordia Publishing House I'm doing this, and maybe I could get a discount on something. <laughs> um, but that being said, um, I'm holding here a copy of uh, the Lutheran Study Bible, which you know that uh, Pastor Harley and I are both fans of this. We're not necessarily tr- fans of the translation that's used in for it, but the Lutheran Bible Study Bible is a wonderful tool. And uh, it's something that I often purchase for gifts to give to people, encouraged to use. I use it a lot. One thing I appreciate in the study Bible and together with the study Bible notes, the Lutheran study Bible does have a lot of references to um, the, the, the different, uh, to the Book of Concord. To the Luther, to the to the confessional writings, and and links those things, um, it, it and and uh, and it's not something that is deep, overly deep for the layperson. And that's and I think that's something that's important is because, I think we have many people, and maybe you're listening today, thinking as you you're going to listen to the topic of this, and you're going to read a little bit about it, and you're like, ugh, Augsburg Confession, that's a little bit long hair for me. That's a little bit over my head. Um, 
really, you know, the beauty of the Augsburg Confession, out of all the confessions, and I'm not saying in the Book of Concord there aren't some challenging ones. There are. But the Book of Concord, or the, the Augsburg Confession within the Book of Concord, is probably the most approachable for any layperson. I, I maybe maybe it's just me, but I think it is the most approachable because it's yeah. it's made for lay people. Yes, it was it was it was it was made for lay people. Uh, they were, you know, and once again, I and I'm grateful to Philip Melanchthon for this as he compiled it, as he was the editor. He was the one who did the fine tuning, much of the fine tuning and so forth. Uh, it, and then distributed to the lay people, and they studied it and and uh, and and grasped it, grasped it well, and took it and took it like a baton and a relay and ran with it. And you know, and, and here's the funny thing, and and maybe this is something that should be said too in favor of Melanchthon. I want one of the things that I think really helped Melanchthon in preparing to write the Augsburg Confession. Yes, all of the things that that Luther had kind of put together. But I would say um, his Loki Communis of 1528, um, the Loki Communis, I think, really prepared him to write the Augsburg Confession. If you haven't had a chance to read it, definitely read it. Um, It is is amazing. Um, Was it 1528, 1521? Might have been 1521. Um, 1521. I'm just trying to locate my copy here on my bookshelf. So it is fifteen twenty one. I I have multiple copies of it. I have one in in a compiled uh, arrangement as well as uh, it's it's separate. But that is a a good document that helped lead and collate these these thoughts right that are going to be expressed um, within the Augsburg Confession. And they're very and it's written to to be easily understood. Um, it's written to be easily sort of digested. Um, in fact, you, in, in his Loki Communis, um, Melanchthon even has a little bit of a sense of humor and you can actually, you actually can chuckle a little bit with some of the things that he writes because I think it's, it's important to understand that, that even though there are a lot of problems that Melanchthon did have later on after the death of Luther, um, he, he kind of went astray. Um, and I didn't say fall from faith. I wouldn't say that, but, but definitely kind of, wasn't as aggressive and wasn't as forthright um, and, and, and succinct as he could have been. Um, considering, considering the, the, considering the whole atmosphere and, and the culture at this time, once again, coming back to that time, things just happened at the right time. A lot of times too, maybe our listeners don't realize that before this in, you know, five, at least 500 years before this, there were there were these. This wasn't the first time Luther wasn't the first one to raise these questions. Oh, absolutely not. By, uh, by, I mean, he wasn't even close to being the first. And in five cent, at least five centuries before him, and dealing in dealing with the Pope and Catholicism, when stuff like this came up, people died. Oh yeah, and I mean, you go to John Huss, right? Uh, Huss was yeah. was probably his closest. You got branded a heretic, and I mean, and, and you were, and you were gone. And so, yes, the atmosphere was, was something here that helped. And again, this was the hand of God. But this was stuff that the all of these people, the lay people, the clergy, had in mind. And I want, and again, remember what I had said too. I don't want to be overly critical, not being a product of that time. Um, have no idea. Have no idea about some of the fears that these people had. 
not saying that those fears couldn't have been overcome by word and sacrament and scripture and all of that stuff. But yet at the same time, you had some of those fears. And then you're looking at, this is the church you love, okay? Philip Melanchthon, as well as Luther and these other reformers, as well as 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 well as the men, the lay people who brought this confession before the emperor, they loved their church. Uh, you know what? They were active parts of their church. Um, um, they took part. They worshipped. They loved it. Uh, they were they were believers because of the Lord and the Holy Spirit working through that church, and so. Imagine, imagine this today, whether it's the congregation that you're serving or the congregation that I'm serving, or we even, and you've lived a little bit, even our denomination, let's just say all of a sudden something just something uh, radically drastic comes up with false doctrine and you're shook to the core. Um, it's really hard to separate emotion um, uh, from the cold, hard reality of what needs to be done. Um, and, uh, and, uh, I appreciate you saying that none of us are saying that, 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 uh, Melanchthon lost the faith when I get to heaven and see him, I guess I owe him an apology as well as with Luther. I want to apologize to Luther for even comparing myself to him and want to apologize to Melanchthon, um, for trying to put myself in his shoes and be in being in being overly judgmental. Well, I think with Luther, you only compared yourself with your love of beer to him. So I think he'll forgive you for uh, that. Yeah, you know, if it had only been that, I could live with that. <laughs> but I, I, I think there is, I think there is things here that that we we have as a takeaway, right, um, dear listener? We're coming to the end of our time um, for the introduction to this topic of the Augsburg Confession, and hopefully, your takeaway is is that confessions mean something, and and specifically for the Lutheran Church of which. We are a part, um, Don and I, and, and many of our members are a part. Um, we want you to understand that these confessions are important because they, they build the backbone of what we hold and cherish. Um, it refers us and drives us back to the cross. It drives us back to, to the scriptures. It drives us back to, to our Savior, Jesus Christ, to hear from him his words uh, of peace and hope and comfort. And, and we cannot, we cannot give up those things we hold dear because then if we do we are no longer who we are and just a little branch off that maybe this would be a good way to finish up um our intro session here uh to maybe make this bring this back to the pew which i think is really what our intention is with this podcast with these podcasts on the augsburg confession um, fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, realized that uh, um, that when Pastor Harley and I became pastors, and uh, and uh, and actually when we were installed to serve many of you, um, but think of your own pastors when you sat in the installation or ordination or both or whatever it was, um, that you as a as a congregation of Lutheran believers require your pastors to s- subscribe unequivocally to the Lutheran Confessions, to the Book of Concord, and which includes the Augsburg Confession as part of that. And when we make those promises, we confess, and because we have studied that as pastors, um, that we that we consider them to be a correct exposition of Holy Scripture um, and, and stand upon them. Um, now, here with that, we go through, that being said, I think it's important for our congregation, the people sitting in the pew, because 
you guys demand this of us, that you guys need to know these things better too. So you can hold us accountable. To hold, to hold us accountable. Working together, once again, as we heard yesterday in Paul's letter to the Romans and in the week before, we are in this together. It is a blessed, it's, it's a ministry together, one body with one head who is Jesus. Um, and it's a privilege to work together. And part of that working together is holding one another accountable. Absolutely. And, and to do that, you need to, you need to be informed as well. You need to, to be learned um, and you need to, to grasp what it is that God has given to us. And, and, you know, again, um, you said it so succinctly, um, we're not looking at the Augsburg Confession. We're not looking at the Book of Concord as as the Bible. This isn't the Bible, but they are the correct expositions of the specific doctrines that they touch that the Scriptures tell us of. Um, so, I, I a best way I've explained it to my youth when we've talked about it is: you have the Scriptures, you have all the passages in the Scriptures that teach all of these different things, and you could go through and you could look at every single passage, and you could jump from this book to that book in the Scriptures and and put it all together. But we've had people that God has blessed who did it for us, right? Yep. And and we get to study that, and then we have the Scripture references that we can go back and we can say this is what God says. Um, and I think that's important um, because we're, we are. That's part. That's part of being a child of God to be able to be able to say clearly, succinctly, without reservation, this is what God says. Absolutely. Thus, as the Lord, as the prophets of old uh, once once said, repeated to the people of Israel, and now we get to repeat to our own. Well, I don't know about you, Don, but I'm I'm excited to jump on into this uh, next week and start with our first topic on God, um, dealing with the Trinity. Yes. So uh, um, next week we're gonna and if you if you are following along, um, buy yourself a book of Concord um, and and look up the Augsburg Confession or or go online. You can get it for free, Augsburg Confession. Um, what I would say though is realize we're gonna probably be jumping and including different chapters, not just all in a row, uh, as we go through this. Final words are done. Amen. Amen. And with that, uh, we wish you God's richest blessings as uh, you too get to join us in this conversation and learn more about this wonderful gift and confession we have in this church. Mm-hmm.